Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Exodus. I invite you to turn over there with me. So we're going to be in the 14th chapter and we're going to read the first eight verses of the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back in a camp near Pi-Hareth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am God. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As Rosemary said, today is Kingdom Kids, so we do not have, or today is Lord's Supper, so we do not have Kingdom Kids today. Uh, because, as she said, when we do the Lord's Supper, we want the kiddos to be a part of that. And some of them are baptized, and they are ready to partake in the Lord's Supper. Others just need to see what's going on with the Lord's Supper, and wonder, and anticipate, and look forward to the day that they are ready to take the Lord's Supper themselves. So, uh, as she said, I couldn't have said it better myself, we just welcome the noises, uh, the fidgeting, it is more than okay. We are so glad that we would much rather be a church with kids uh, making a little noise and moving around in the pew than a church that doesn't have that going on. So it really is a wonderful thing. So parents, you're, I know how it is. I know how it is. You're going to be far more concerned about it than anybody else around you. So just, just relax and let the Lord speak to you as we move through the service this morning. Um, I'll be honest with you, this is a tough one. I wanted to preach on this because, you know, we're going through a Bible reading plan. If you didn't know that, uh, you can get some details at our website, fbckennedy.org. You'll see that on your bulletin. And just put a, a slash and put in Bible. Or you'll find the link on the home screen. You can get the Bible reading plan there. But we have been reading through the story of Exodus, and you can't miss, if you've been following along, you can't miss what the Scripture says about Pharaoh's heart being hardened by God. Now, to be fair, it also says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, right? What does that mean? How do we put those things together? And what difference does that really make in our lives? And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I just say that as a segue into prayer because I want to ask you to pray as I pray. Because this is a bit of a tough one, and I want to honor God's word and the truthfulness therein, and I want it to be beneficial to all of us as we take a look at a tough uh, section of Scripture. And so just pray with me that God would speak clearly to each of us, okay? Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you so much that you have given us your word. We understand only as much as your Holy Spirit is able to help us understand in the season of life we're in, and we just embrace that, God. We embrace that we are not all-knowing and all-wise as you are. And yet we trust, Father, that what you want to speak to us through your scriptures, we are able, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to comprehend it, to take it and to live it out in our daily lives starting today. And that's what we ask that you would do in us. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So, what caused Pharaoh's hard heart towards God? If you read through from Genesis, from Exodus chapter uh, 5 through Exodus chapter 14, you're going to see two things that are happening in Pharaoh that hardens his heart. You're going to see God hardens his heart. We just read that twice in eight verses. You're also going to see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And I just want to the best of our ability to understand what that means. I want to start with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the scriptures say, over and over again, hardened his own heart. What does that mean? Well, we got to understand a little bit about Pharaoh first. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. In Egypt are God's people, the Israelites. If you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers, that's how they got there. Joseph and his brothers and his father passed away. A new Pharaoh comes along. And, and after a while, they, they don't see the Israelites as friends. They see them as potential enemies. I'm an Egyptian. This is my country. And you've got all these foreigners here. And if a war breaks out, who knows what they may do. They may join with the other side to take over our country. That's how they thought. So what's the plan? The plan is to enslave them. Let's make these Israelites our slaves. They'll work for us for nothing. We'll get the benefit of the labor. And we can just push them down to the point that they would never, ever cross us. Because they will know what happens if you cross Egypt. And that's what they did. Pharaoh after Pharaoh did this. Made sure that the Israelites, even under slavery, they grew. And the Egyptians made sure that they were pushed down over and over again. So that's the context. That's what's happening in Egypt. And of course, you know the story. God raises up a man named Moses to set God's people free. Free them from Egyptian slavery. We talked about Moses' birth and early life and calling last week. Today, I want to look at specifically Pharaoh. Now, if you were Pharaoh in Egypt, there's something that's important to know. You were seen as God you are worshipped as God. So right off the bat, Pharaoh is thinking, God, what God? I am God. I am Lord. I am in charge. I sit on the throne. Everyone answers to me. Everything I tell them to do, they do. If they don't do it, all I got to do is snap my fingers and they are taken out of the picture. I am sovereign. I am in charge. 
So we got to understand before we even get into the moment where plagues are introduced. There's ten plagues God uses to break Israel free from Egyptian slavery. But before we ever get to those ten plagues that God uses, Pharaoh is already hardening his heart towards God. From the very beginning of his reign, he is understanding himself as God. So there can be no other God. In fact, when in Exodus 5, verse 2, Moses comes, Aaron, his uh, relative, is his mouthpiece, speaking for him because Moses evidently has some kind of trouble with speech. It's one of the excuses he tries to use with God when he gets out of this whole lead them out of slavery business. He didn't want to do it. And one of them was, God, I can't even speak right. And God says, all right, well, use, use, your, serv- use, your, use your family right here, Aaron. I will speak through him. So Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, let us go out, take our people out into the desert. Let us worship God, offer sacrifices for three days. Listen to what Pharaoh says. It already indicates the condition of his heart before you ever get into all these plagues and what happens next. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now, does that sound like a soft heart? No. His heart has already been hardening over time. One, because he believed he was God. So who, could, who else could be God? Why would I listen to anyone else when I am God? But I think there's another thing that you see bears out in Scripture is not only does he see himself as God, but if I'm God, then everything here is for me. Including you, slaves, are here to work for me. So there was something else at play. He was getting wealthy off of the backs of the Israel slaves. And he did not want... To give that up. So if you continue in Exodus chapter 5, you see him talking about that. The king says in verse 4, Moses and Aaron, what are, you, what are you doing taking the people away from the labor? Get back to work. The Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. I'm God and all of you people are here for me. And you are causing them not to work for me. There's not only a hubris to see one as God, but a greed that sees other people as property to be owned. It's a very ugly thing. We know that in our own country's past and in every country's past, slavery is a, hug, is a horribly ugly thing. It sees people as less than human. So not only does Pharaoh see himself as more than human, he sees the Israelites as less than human. Does that sound like a soft heart towards God? It does not. So what Pharaoh ends up doing is saying, Israelites, they must be lazy. They need to work harder and they'll forget all about this going out to the desert, worshiping God for three days business. And that's exactly what he does. He makes it more difficult. So after a lifetime of thinking of himself as being sovereign, being God, to be worshiped, being greedy, treating people like property. Pharaoh has already been on this path of a hard-heartedness toward his creator. So when God intervenes 
Pharaoh's heart becomes permanently hard. We can't dismiss this idea that God is involved in the hardening of Pharaoh's heart because it's plain and clear in the scripture. One thing that God tells Moses is that, look, Pharaoh's not going to allow this to happen easily. His heart's going to be hard towards me. So you're going to go through these series of plagues with him in order to break free from slavery. There's ten. The first is the plague of blood. Here we read in chapter 7, verse 22, Pharaoh's heart became hard. More of a passive situation. It doesn't say God did it. It doesn't say that Pharaoh's doing it. But in the second plague of frogs, in chapter 8, verse 15, we read that Pharaoh hardened his own heart towards God. In verse 4, you are in uh, the third plague. It's the plague of gnats. And again, it's more passive. It says in 8, 19, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Going back to uh, Pharaoh hardening his own heart, that's the language of the fourth plague plague of flies in chapter 8 verse 32 pharaoh hardened his own heart in the fifth plague where livestock die off pharaoh's heart was hard chapter 9 verse 7 and then in chapter or or, uh, in the sixth plague we read about the plague of boils here the lord hardened pharaoh's heart chapter 9 verse 12 seventh plague is the plague of hail and there we read, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, chapter 3, chapter 9, verse 34. The eighth is the plague of locusts. And here we, got, and we read that God announces that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart, chapter 10, verse 1 and 20. The ninth plague is the plague of darkness, where we read again, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, chapter 10, verse 27. And then in the tenth and final, it's the death of the firstborn of all in Egypt. And there we read, God harden Pharaoh's heart. It's clear that, God, that Pharaoh is involved in the hardening of his own heart. Before God ever puts the pressure on him, his heart is already being hardened towards his creator. But it's also clear that somehow God is involved in this hardening of his heart. Now, how do we make sense of that? How do we not say that Therefore, God is responsible for the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. I think one illustration that has helped me over the years, which came from one of my professors in school, he put it this way. Just as the sun shines down on wax and it melts, the sun shines down on clay and it hardens. So is it the sun shining down? Or is it that which the heart is made of? As much as that helps me understand that when God shines down on the heart of Pharaoh, his heart is a heart of clay. He's been creating a heart of clay his whole lifetime. And now when the creator God puts the pressure on when he shines down on him what could happen nothing could happen but his heart be hard because his heart was not soft towards God like like wax but it's very substance 
was like clay, to be hardened in the presence of God. But you might say, okay, well, that's all well and good, but still, God knew it would happen. God said it would happen. If you use this illustration, you could say it like this. God said, I'm the sun, I'm going to shine down on that guy, and his heart is going to be hardened. And I'm going to shine my light till it happens. So it's helpful to understand a little bit, but then you still get to the point where you wonder, well, why would God do that? Again and again, uh, or at least twice, I should say it that way, twice, we are told why. That God is going to glorify himself through this entire ordeal. The slavery, the freedom from slavery is part of God's overall plan of salvation for the entire world to have an opportunity to know him. We've talked about that before when we talked about the four chapters of the Bible, that there's creation, there's fall, there's redemption, there's restoration. We're living in a time of redemption. Ever since sin was introduced in the world, God has been working to redeem the world. And this is part of his plan. And the way I think of it is God is able to use human freedom bent towards evil. He's able to use that even to bring about good. And the greatest good is that he would be glorified. That God would be known and worshipped as God. That is the greatest good. And God is using the evil in Pharaoh's heart to glorify himself. Now if I did that, that would sound wrong. And it would be wrong to glorify myself. To try to get you to glorify me or my wife or my kids or anyone to glorify me. That would be wrong because I'm not worthy of it. But to not glorify the thing that is worthy of it would be wrong. If there is something that is worthy of our glorification, of our worship, of our adoration, of our obedience, if there is someone or something worthy of it, it would be wrong not to glorify it. And so God is saying it would be wrong of me to not lead creation to glorify me. In essence, what he's saying is the best thing for you is me. Now again, that sounds odd to the human ear because we're humans. It would be kind of ludicrous for us to say that. But if it's true of God, then it's true. No matter how it hits the human ear, it's true. And if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you would just agree with it and say, yes, I want God to be glorified. And praise God that he's able to work through the evilness of a human heart to bring about his own glorification because that is the very best thing for everyone so in essence what God does is he's able to repurpose this vessel as Romans 9 puts it he's able to repurpose this vessel Pharaoh's hardened heart for his own good purposes now we would say well wouldn't it be better if Pharaoh's heart was just softened towards God of course it would have been better but remember his own freedom as a human being added to this journey of his heart becoming hardened towards God. His own choices led him to that point of which there was no return. His heart became permanently hard towards God with no hope of redemption. His decisions led to that. Would it have been better had he, had he softened his heart? Of course. You know the end of the story, or many of you do. 
they are able to leave Egypt in slavery. Even after the very worst thing you can imagine happening happens, the plague of the loss or the death of the firstborn son of every person in Egypt, Pharaoh's heart once again becomes hard towards God. He says, what are we doing? We've let, we've let these people go. We've let their services go. We, we've made a mistake. And he even chases them down in the desert. And of course, the great scene, if you've ever seen uh, the movie, The Ten Commandments, the, the Red Sea parts, God's people are able to walk through safely. And as Pharaoh's army enters into the sea, the waters rush back over them and wipe out all of their army. Would it have been better if that had not happened? Yeah. But there was human freedom involved. This was something that Pharaoh was responsible for, ultimately. And it cost his kingdom greatly. Now, this has absolute implications for me and you. We are not a pharaoh or king or queen in any kind of uh, legal sense or with a title or anything like that. But we are in charge of our own heart. And we get to decide if we will keep our hearts soft towards God or if we will harden our hearts towards God. And God will put us in circumstances just like he did Pharaoh Help us work that out. Always with the very best intentions. He puts us in places where our hearts are tested. So a, heart, a soft heart towards God would say in the midst of the testing, God, I don't like this, but I trust you. A soft heart would say, God, I'm struggling to understand. Please help me. A soft heart will say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I think you want to teach me something. Help me to learn. But a hard heart says, God, how could you? A hard heart says, God, why would you do this to me? Why me, God? A hard heart says, how come I'm being treated this way? And you look over here and those people are definitely way worse sinners than me. And they seem to be doing just fine. If you know the story of the, uh, the prodigal son, we start to sound a lot like the older brother. We shake our finger at God. See, that's, that's the telltale sign of a heart that's being hardened. But the ultimate sign is what we do. I'm so thankful God is a big God and he can hear our most anguish-filled prayers. You're reading through the Psalms in the reading plan. Have you not seen that? The psalmists say some pretty ugly things. And they make some accusations. But what are they doing? They are talking to God. They are praying to God. They're communicating with God. They're keeping that connection with God. The line that divides soft heart and hard heart is not feelings, it's action. It is whether we obey God 
when it feels very costly to us, when it diminishes us, Pharaoh had a chance to obey God. God, in fact, gave him many chances, many, many chances to soften his heart towards him. And Pharaoh refused every single time. Only once did he admit any wrong. He says after one plague, you know what? I have sinned. Go pray for me, Moses. Moses does. The plague goes away. And what does he do immediately? Back to the hard-hearted. The difference between a hard heart and a soft heart is not how we feel. It's not even what we say in prayer because we can say some really hard things in prayer. See the Psalms. It's what we do. And in the story of Pharaoh, what he does is he refuses to bend his will to God's will. That's what he refuses to do. And let's be honest, not one of us will escape that temptation to say to God, I know better than you. That willingness to sit on, the own, sit on the throne of our own hearts and kick God off is in every one of us. That pull to be our own God, just as Pharaoh experienced, that temptation will come at every one of us. And every time we read the God, Word of God, we hear the Word of God taught, and we know what we should do, and we just say, but I really don't want to. I really want to live my life this way. I don't really want to submit that area of my life to God. What are we doing? We're doing what Pharaoh did. We're saying, what God? I'm God. Who's in charge? He's not in charge. I'm in charge. Who's sitting on the throne here? He's not sitting on the throne. I'm sitting on the throne. That's what we're doing. What is that? That's the hardness of our heart. Hebrews 3.15 says this, As it has been said, today if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. It's a quotation from Psalm 95.8. And I have felt a weight of this this week, to be honest with you, because uh, I know with a group this size, there's, there's going to be people here that are, that are tempted to just harden your heart towards God and say, forget it. You don't seem to know what you're doing. You don't have my best interests in mind. Are you wrestling with sin and you're saying, I really don't want to let this go. I enjoy this. I don't want to give it up. I, I, I want what I want. And in both cases, what are you saying? You're saying, I want to be God of my own life. I've done that many times. It has never turned out well. It's always chaotic and a mess because I'm not all-knowing. I'm not all-powerful. I'm not able to be everywhere at every moment of every day. I am not all-loving. Sometimes what I want is not loving. I make a terrible God. What's that lead me to? It leads me to trust a God that maybe I don't always understand. Maybe I don't always agree with him. Maybe I sometimes see things differently than he does, but I have to make a decision to trust him to be God 
take myself off the throne of my own life because I make a terrible God over my own life. So my encouragement to you today is Hebrews 3.15. If you're hearing the voice of God today, don't harden your heart. Stay soft towards him. Not just in words, not just in prayer, not just in your own feelings, but in what you actually do. In your obedience to him, when you feel him leading you to do that which you would rather not do, that is the perfect opportunity to say, here's my test. I want to pass it. Lord, help me to remain soft-hearted towards you. And it is difficult. And we have a great example. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment because of what took place directly after this moment in Jesus' life. But there he is with some of his disciples, and they're praying. And, and the way I understand it, Jesus is contemplating the moment of his death as he is taking on the sins of the world, dying for you and me. He's thinking about what's going to happen with my relationship with my Heavenly Father once I take on those sins and I, and I take their punishment. I do not think Jesus was worried about the pain, the physical pain of crucifixion, which was terrible. I think he was thinking about even a moment's pause and that eternal connection that he has always shared with his Father. And he prays, God, take this cup from me. It's another way of saying, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to take on the sins of the world. Please take it from me. He prays it twice. And then he prays it a third time. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is, we believe, God in the flesh. And he is wrestling with letting his father call the shots. It was hard for even Jesus. Maybe in a way, give yourself a break. Of course it's going to be hard for you and me. We're far from Jesus in our own character and ability. And yet we do have the Holy Spirit in us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to say what Jesus said and do what Jesus did, which is to obey the Father. In the end, what Jesus says is not, my will be done. But as he prays to God, he says, thy will be done. Not what I want, but what you want. I submit myself to you, and he's given us an example to follow. But I think he's also done one more thing. He's given us a reason to follow. If that's a picture of God in the flesh, if that's who God is, are you telling me he doesn't have your best interests at heart? Are you telling me he's not able to work out all the bad things you're going through and bring out something good that you can never, ever anticipate? Of course he is. Of course he can. Look at the cross. Every disciple is looking at Jesus on the cross thinking this is the worst day in human history and they wouldn't be wrong. But what happens three days later? It's the brightest day in human history. That's what God can do and he can do it in your life as well. So what are we saying? We're saying, then quit trying to be God. 
Admit that he has your best interest at heart, and he's going to bring it about even under circumstances you may not choose. And as you're able to confess that, what do we do? We say, not, thy, not my will, thy will. Not what I want, what you want. We're going to come to the Lord's table to take the elements this morning. And one of the things that Paul talks about, he's a Christian writing to the church in Corinth that he had helped to start. And he says to them, before you take the Lord's Supper, examine your heart. So I invite you to do that this morning. Before we take the Lord's Supper, examine your heart. Are, are you being hard-hearted towards God? Are you struggling to obey when it's difficult? Are you resisting his sovereignty in your life? And God is so good, he'll just invite you to bring that to him and he'll forgive you. See, he's already forgiven you. It's a, your sins are prepaid for, folks. Why not sin all the more? Because the most important thing in the world is for you to have a connection with God. And sin just puts space between us and God. And he is inviting you to take that sin of hard-heartedness and lay it before him and confess it to him. And what you will find is not a taskmaster like Pharaoh. What you will find is a loving father like the father in the story of the prodigal son. That's what you'll find, a God that welcomes you in, that hugs you, that kisses you, that says you're in the family. No sin's going to get you out of the family. Just like in Christ, there is no righteousness that could get you in. It's his righteousness. Therefore, there's no sin that can kick you out because he's covered that sin. So come to him. Those places where you're tempted to harden your hearts to him, come to him. And you will find a father that loves you so much that he was willing to give his son for you. And you will find a brother in Christ that loves you so much that for the joy set before him, he went to the cross for you. That's what you find. And you know what? When we think about that, when I think about that, my heart gets a little bit softer and a little bit softer because, wow, that's the God I serve. Let's pray. Father God, you know who we are, you know what we're going through, you know our struggles, you know our proclivity to sin, you know our rebellious nature, God, you know everything, you know us completely and yet you love us fully, I pray that that truth would not just be something we say or something we think or hear, but it would drop down into our hearts even now, softening us to accept you as our Lord, to follow you as our King, to treat you as our Sovereign, to know you and love you and therefore seek to obey you in our lives, to soften our hearts with the truth found most clearly and most dearly in Christ. That's the work of your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would be at work today in us. In the name of Jesus, amen.